this that is has a baby on the way or has had a child or is thinking about it. But do you guys know the rules about what you can and cannot name your baby? There are some rules about what you can and cannot name your baby. We went through uh, some of this when both of our children were born. If you're a, my understanding is if you're a female over the age of 15 and you have a smartphone, you probably have somewhere in your notes a couple baby names that you like, and you hope nobody finds those names because then it feels weird, especially if you just got in a relationship. I don't know if that's good intel or not, but I'm told that's a thing. Uh, I know when we were naming. Our children, Jess was like, oh, I've always loved this name. <laughs> and I was like, I really, I've never thought about names, you know, beyond my own. But um, there's some rules, so, so I'm going to tell you some of these rules. I'll remind you of some of them if you've already walked this road, but you'll know them. They're, they're pretty simple. Number one, you cannot name your child after someone whom you didn't like or who was weird in high school, right? Because you'll, you'll get a name in your mind. Oh, John. Oh, I love John. Oh, wait, no. And then somebody comes to your mind, and then all of a sudden that name's totally off the table. Uh, by the way, as I'm thinking about that, think back to some people that you, uh, all the people you knew in high school, and did any of them name their child your name? And if they didn't, not even one of them, you know what that means. You're the weird one, right? Um... So anyway, you can't do that. You also can't name your child after any past boyfriends or girlfriends. That tends to be a general rule. You may not mind if it was named after your previous girlfriend, but your spouse tends to mind if it was, you know. So you, that tends to be one you can't do. Uh, another one, this, was, this is one that I learned. Um, you can't name your child a name that was claimed by your siblings. That's a big one. Anybody encounter that one? Even if they claimed it at 12, you can't take it. Because they'll pull out the, you knew I loved that name, that was my favorite name. And you can take it, but if you take it, you can't do it without a fight. And you also run the risk of, of your child having a first cousin with the exact same first and last name. <laughs> Ironically, um, my family's pretty disconnected. This will tell you how disconnected we really are. Uh, my cousin just graduated. His name's Nathan. And he just graduated high school, and on his graduation invitation, I realized that he and I have the exact same name, because <laughs> his name's actually Nathaniel Bourne, and that's my name. But I never knew that until just then. And then I talked to his mom, and she's like, oh, his name's Nathaniel, too. So anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun, and it was really weird, too. So anyway, you run the risk that uh, you're going to have the exact same name as your first cousin. Then here's the last one. This is, not that you can't do this one, but you should not do this one. You should not name your child something that turns their name into a sentence. You know what I'm talking about? Like my little brother's last name is, is my, my family's, my, my other, you know, half, whatever step. Their last name is Flowers, so they're like a ton of combinations. So everybody wanted them to name my brother Picking or Pickin', you know? So they call him Pickin' Flowers. And um, so there was that. My brother's name is uh, is Jerry, so my uncles wanted my mom to name me Tom. So we'd be Tom and Jerry. That's not really a sentence one, but it's kind of the same thing. Now, I pulled a couple of these out. There's somebody, um, there's a name, uh, Kenya. Kenya, I have some students named Kenya. And then um, Kenya Cook, you know. So you just want to flee from stuff like that. You know, anything that names. I had another one, too. This one's somebody's actual name. Uh, it's Eileen is the first name. Eileen Wright, 
Eileen Wright, you know, like Eileen Wright, you know, it takes me a minute. Um, so you can't do that to your children. That's just not fair to your children. They're going to have to, every time they say their name, everybody chuckles and they just got to get over it. So there are a whole lot of things you can't name your children. It's a big discussion. You learn them all. Nobody has to tell them to you. They just all come out when you start, you know, going through and naming your children. Because names and titles are important. They say much about who you are. They say even more about who your parents are. You have a weird name. It says a lot of things about your parents and how eccentric they are. But they say a lot about you. Kids introduce their, their parents, uh, the way they introduce them, what title they use says a lot. If your child says, this is my dad, probably means you're their dad. If they say, if they don't really like you that much or you're disconnected, they say, this is my father. Um, that's another way to say, I'm connected to this person, but I don't like them. And then if they really can't stand you and they're real bold and brazen, they say, this is my mom's baby daddy. <laughs> I heard that one a couple times at school. Um, so your title matters. You know, what you get called matter, matters. There's this uh, title that's given to God well over a thousand times in Scripture. Jesus uses it particularly over 150 times. And it's the title of Father. And so God has given a whole lot of different titles, but a whole lot of times in Scripture, He's called Father. So as we gear up for, for Father's Day next weekend, you guys wouldn't believe this. This is going to blow your minds. But I actually stole this slide and just added the S. You know what I mean? So anyway, I know. Graphic design is pretty easy. Um, but anyway, so, so I did that. I knew you'd be real pleased. But we're going to spend a, uh, a couple weeks on I thought that would be funnier. I really thought that would be. Um, but we're going to spend a couple weeks uh, talking about fathers and, and jumping in this week, just talking about what it means to be a dad. And, and, and next week I want to be really up on Father's Day. You know, Mother's Day we tend to say, Moms, you are cherished and loved. And on Father's Day we say, Dads, get it together and do better. <laughs> And so I didn't want to do that on Father's Day, so I'm going to do that this week. And so that way next week I can be real up on dads and really build you up and make you feel good about yourself. So this week, just, just jumping into facing the reality head on that some dad, that no dads are perfect. Some dads are absolutely awful. And, and some dads are, are not dads at all. They're just completely absent. And you don't know them or you haven't seen them in a long time. And that's just a very obvious reality. And so when we come to Father's Day, it's just a reality that we have to face. And the biggest danger is the reality, is that that's the reality for so many people. And, and the reality it, so, for so long, and you see it the longer you're in church ministry, and then you look at statistics and, and it's even more bold and in front of you. But the reality is the decision of whether or not the decision of whether or not to embrace God as Father is so often based in our relationship with our own Father. And you say, well, that's not true of me, and, and, and maybe it's not of you. But man, by and large, so many people choose not to follow Jesus, choose not to follow God, because the idea of following a Father seems awful because of the relationship that they had with their own Father. Sigmund Freud said, he said, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. 
And even if we circle back around, so many of us can, can peel back and say the, the most rebellious times we had were times that we didn't have a father to keep us in check or times when we were separated and distant from our dad. In fact, every atheist, every famous atheist that we can, can name, and, and I guess we can debate over, over what, you know, who all is famous and who's not, but, but you go through a pretty prominent list of, of, of famous atheists and somebody compiled this huge list and then, and then pulled some places where they had talked about their relationship with their father. And it's comprehensive. And so many of every single one that we can find, documented absentee or traumatic relationship with their father. And so at minimum, we just can't deny the reality that our relationship with God the Father is often shaped by our relationship with our earthly father. And even if you've come to embrace Jesus as Savior, your relationship with your father still frames much of your faithfulness unable to trust God to take care of your finances and your situations and overcompensating for those things in a way that is ungodly and unhealthy. Sometimes we do that because our dad didn't take care of those things. He didn't teach us to take care of those things. And so we overcompensate in ways and we can't trust God to do some things that we couldn't trust our parent to do. Unable to connect emotionally and develop a relationship with God the Father. The whole idea of a personal relationship and somebody that I pray to seems odd because my father didn't do that with me. Uh, I may have said this before, so um, just bear with me if I have. But I have the hardest time, I have the hardest time telling people, it's hard for me even now to get the words out. It's hard for me to say, I love you. It felt weird even then. It's hard. I can say it to my wife. I can say it to my children. I can say it to my mom. But it's really hard for me outside of that. If I tell you, love you, I love you, you know that I think whatever you're going through is super bad. Because <laughs> I had to fight hard to get it out. Um, I, I don't do it on purpose. But I, I can't remember. My dad died when I was 24. And I can't remember one time in those 24 years that my dad said that to me. I remember the closest we ever got. This is the most awkward encounter. It will stick in my brain forever. We're riding in my dad's truck. We're going to school every day on the way to school. Um, and look, we're, it's not like there's no degree of separation. My dad drove a, a, uh, a stick shift single cab. And so, and I was the youngest, so you know where I sat, right? Right there in the middle with the, just hitting my knees with the stick shift and all that. I'm in the middle. My brother's right there. It was a Ford Ranger, tiny little thing. And uh, so we're driving to school every morning. We have like an hour drive to school because that's what life is like in the country. So we're driving. We listen to um, Focus on the Family, this morning program. And that day, there's a guy on there, and he's talking about fathers and their children. And, boy, he just keeps pounding it. You know, fathers, you have to tell your children you love them or they won't know. Fathers, have you said it today? Long pause. Just the awkwardness in the truck. It's just so unreal. Fathers, did you tell your children you love them? And, uh, and, and so he says it like six times. And finally my dad is like, he just kind of goes, I don't even think he takes his hand off the steering wheel. He doesn't even look over. You know, he says, I don't think we have to say that. You know, no, no, Dad, no, absolutely not. Yeah, we don't have to do that. Yeah, we just know it in our family. Yeah, that's right. It was done. That was it. 
That was the closest we ever got to saying that, ever. And it's a problem for me because sometimes people need to know it. They need to know that I don't just, I'm not just trying to help you a little bit. I mean, I really have deep care and concern for you. And I want you to know that if you feel like nobody loves you right now, that I do. But it's so hard for me in an area where my dad failed to be faithful. And my dad was a good dad by a lot of accounts. But in an area where he failed to be faithful, I failed to be faithful. And I'm sure that in your life, and I know that in my life, and in a lot of other places, there are things that we struggle with in our faith life because our Father struggled with it. Isaiah 49. Isaiah chapter 49, uh, verse 13. You see, in Isaiah, you see this picture of God the Father. And Isaiah has already, and, and, and sometimes in, in like the, you know, the, the first five books or so of the Bible, you don't see God pictured as father as much as you do in some other places later but certainly in isaiah isaiah it says it a lot and he calls god god the father and isaiah he's writing this book he's writing these these things to the to the nation mostly he's writing these to judah so like judah if you're familiar you had israel and then judah split and so you had two different kingdoms a northern and a southern kingdom and he's mostly writing this to the the southern kingdom and he's writing this book to them or he's writing these 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 you know uh, this prophecy and uh and, and and he regularly in this thing calls god the father and what you see here, I think, is this really rich, really rich imagery where this God that he's been calling Father, he just really goes in and describes this God whom he calls Father. And you see some pretty incredible things. And I want you to see today the truth that even if you had, even if you had the greatest dad ever, God is so much greater than your dad. And, and if you had uh, a terrible father... God is the perfect Father, protecting, caring for, comforting, saving, perfect Father, absolutely perfect Father. And no matter what flaw your, 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 your Father had, your Heavenly Father has none. And no matter if you've never even seen your dad, you have a Father in Jesus. So let's read through some of this. Isaiah forty nine thirteen. It says, sing for joy, O heavens. So by the way, um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I usually read out of the NIV. I know you're like, oh, again, make up your mind. Um, but, uh, but I'm reading out of this because I think that, that the picture here is just so much more clear, just in the way it describes it. So um, Isaiah 49, 13. Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted... This You begin to see it. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And so, so the Scripture says that God is comforting them and He has compassion on them, but they don't feel it. And they say, but God has deserted us. He's forgotten us. And look at verse 15. This is the response. God says, never... Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? Like, like, does that kind of thing happen? I mean, maybe sometimes, but not very, not very often. But even if it did happen, but even if that were possible, God says, I would not forget you. I would not forget you. Verse 16, See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. 
always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruin. She says, I've written your name on my hands. I see you all the time. And I've never forgotten you. And then skip down to verse 26. Verse 26 is, is, is where God gets, he's this, through the prophet, he gets real graphic. And it reminds me really of, of like a dad whom someone has done something very awful to his children. I remember when I would see... Before I had kids, you know, I'd, you'd see somebody would do something terrible and you'd see a parent forgive that person. And I would think, wow, that, that's really cool. And now I, I, I see someone who, who would do something terrible to someone and I see a, a dad forgive and I'm like, what an idiot. <laughs> because he, you should be so mad. It's so much harder for me to, to, to even think that way. I mean, I think like, like if someone were to do something to my children, that would be so much worse than doing something to me. And, and, and it's, you know, that's a sinful sort of not giving forgiveness, but just being honest about a struggle. But verse 26, to me, is the picture of a God whom someone has done something bad to his children. Get this, he says, I will feed your enemies with their own flesh. I told you it was bad, right? They will be drunk with rivers of their own blood. And all the world will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer the mighty one of Israel. All the world will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Israel. Three things here. Three things to know about your heavenly dad from this passage. Three things I think really stand out when we're giving this picture of God. And one is this. He is an emotionally present dad. He is an emotionally present dad. Verse 1 says he has compassion on his people. He comforts his people. He's emotionally present. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Four Christmases? Anybody seen that with Vince Vaughn? Have you seen that? Nobody? It's, if you, it's, it just cracks me up. The part where the baby throws up, and then he can't help, he throws up on like his fiance, and he can't help her because he's like, I'm going to throw up too. You know what I'm talking about? That's like a part that, I can totally relate to, you know. Um, but actually, yesterday, Nate had a big nasty diaper. This is not on script, or I probably wouldn't say it because I'd be like, that's not a good one. But um, yesterday, real nasty diaper, and I hear Jess saying, oh, this one's bad. I get out the door so fast, you know. Like, I didn't hear that. I'm taking the garbage out. Um, but I struggle, right? I can, I can connect with that. But there's a part in that movie where, um, where his dad says, his dad says what he thinks he did wrong in his first marriage. And he says to his, to his ex-wife, I put a roof over her head and food in her mouth. I'll tell you what I did. I spoiled her. <laughs> and he says, that's what went wrong with my first marriage. Nothing else that I did, I spoiled her because I gave her food to eat and a place to live. And sometimes get in this way of thinking that, that, that because we've done that for our children, they owe us the utmost respect. They owe us all the respect in the world because we provided for their very basic needs. You know who else does that? You know who's really better at that than us? That than us? Raccoons. Raccoons take great care of their young. Yeah, the, like the infant mortality rate among raccoons is very small. They take great care of their youngs. You know, the animals that eat out of your trash, they take great care of, of their children. And sometimes we think that because we can do what the raccoons do, not quite as good, but we can do it, that our ki- we've done enough for our kids. 
And contrasted with that is an emotionally present dad who goes so far beyond just saying, I gave you the two things that you needed in life. Isn't that enough? The people in Judah whom this letter is written to, they've worshipped false gods. They've turned from their faith. They've dishonored their father. They've dishonored their family name. And yet, even after they've done all that to their father, what does he do? He's full of compassion. And he still comforts them. Let that be in a, kick, a kick in the pants for us who, who are dads. But secondly, let us all just look at it and say, wow, what a great God we serve. A God who forgives and has compassion even when we've come so far from him. That's the same God that calls us his children today. That God who has that kind of compassion. So we serve a God, one who, who's filled with compassion serve a God who's, who's very compassionate towards His people. But secondly, we, we serve a God. God is a Father that absolutely never leaves us. Catch that. God is a Father that never leaves us. Verse 14 said, Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. He's, he's forgotten us. And they say, and, and God's response is, never, never can a mother forget her nursing child can she feel no love for the child she is born but even if that were possible even if she could I, I could not forget you I've written your names in the palms of my hands always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruins let me tell you some unfortunate reality 40% of children in America 40% just hear this 40% of children in America live in a home without their father 40% Pretty unreal. Counselors swim in this every day, and, uh, and and it's a reality that you can see in a whole lot of whole lot of textbooks and a whole lot of things as they're working to diagnose. But uh, they note this about fatherless boys: in the absence of a father figure who could show them what real masculinity is, the top things that 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 children turn to, that boys turn to, are they, they try to find some way to prove it. Their father wasn't there to, to teach them masculinity. Their father wasn't there to affirm them. And so their main goal is to prove that. And they do it through rebellion. They do it, some through athletic prowess, some through sexual prowess, some through violence or gang activity. But they find some kind of way to be a man outside of what it really means to be a man. Some of them find it in being an overachiever, giving up happiness, some sacrifice marriages and relationships with their own children because they work so hard and so many hours trying to win the affection or win the approval of everybody else because they never quite got it at home. Counselors um, also show a lot about... Wait, I think I didn't write that down. Yeah, I'll come back to that in a minute. <laughs> um, national statistics. Here's another interesting one. National t- statistics show that 71% of high school dropouts... So this is just real simple stuff. This is what people mark when they drop out. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 71%. So I think that plays a, a huge role. 75% of teenagers in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. Are you getting the idea when your dad is not there... It makes a big difference. The picture of God here is a father who, who not only doesn't leave us, not only doesn't forget, forget us, but who cares for us more closely than a mother does her newborn baby. I mean, you know, I, I remember Jess says things to me all the time, you know, Did, do you think that mole is growing? <laughs> I said, well, no, which child <laughs> and what mole? 
You know, I haven't seen, like, I. she just watches them so much more closely than me. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine a God who says, even the most caring mother who does nothing but just stare at that child and worry about that child and fret over that child, God says, even much more so than that, I watch my children so intently. I, I think about them, they're on my mind. We see this other reality in Scripture when you, when you read the, the, Rob talked about the prodigal son. You see that in that story, man, you see that, that there's this picture of, of God and when his children are away, he, he's sad, he can't find happiness. And, and there's just, just painting the picture that God loves when his children are near to him. And so we serve a God who's, who's not only there, not only, not only present, but a God who is emotionally present. And a God who never, ever leaves his children. But finally, the last thing you see there, and it's, it's in that last verse. But the last thing you see most clearly is we also serve a God. We have a Father that saves. And that's his chief role. If he did nothing else, that would be enough. We also have a Heavenly Father that saves, that brings salvation. That verse in, in, in that part in verse 26 it says all the world will know that i the lord am your savior and your redeemer nate started started pulling up recently you know he's like pulling up on everything he's fallen about 55 times i think and uh, and i've caught him another 55 times and he's just constantly up and, and then falling down but even as many times as i've caught him the truth is, I, obviously, I can't protect him from everything. I can't watch him every minute. He's going to fall. No matter how great I am and no matter how present I am and no matter how much on my mind he is, I can't solve his biggest problems. I certainly can't give him salvation. I can't hand to him a relationship with the Father. I can't save him from the penalty of sin. The very best that I can do and what I absolutely will do is try my very best to point him to a father that can save him. And so no matter how great I can be, I can never be great enough to solve his biggest problem. I can never save him myself. Praise God he has access to a heavenly father that can do that. That sent his son Jesus to die for him that he and all of us might have new life. So if you had no father, I mean you got a father somewhere out there, I know biology, right? Um, you got no dad that's present, you got a great dad, you got just an okay dad, I mean you don't say that to him, but you know when you process he's probably just okay. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, you have a perfect heavenly father. And if you're a dad, you know, you can never be that. If you're thinking about your dad, uh, the reality that you should know is you have no need to compensate for all the things you didn't learn from your dad. You have no need to, to, to make up for that. You have no need to try to gain your worth or have other people believe in you because he didn't, because you have a heavenly father and he says, you are in my hands. I look at you and I think about you all the time. And you have worth in my eyes. And so we just finish by saying, that Heavenly Father, do you follow Him? 
Is he actually your father? He died to remove your sin so that you could have a relationship with him. And he wants to forgive you and he wants to save you if you'll receive him. And so I encourage you not to not to treat it like you, maybe you have with your own father where you just kind of, at this part, you begin to mentally pack up. But you really stop to say, do, do I really? Do I have a real relationship with the Heavenly Father? So as you can have it right now by giving over control of your life to Him and, and, and receiving Jesus, welcoming Him into your life as Savior. You can do it right now. And you can, you can gain access to a Heavenly Father. You can gain a Heavenly Father that is perfect towards you. Let me pray.